0: It's good to be here this morning with you. Thanks for uh, last week. For those of you that are like guests or visiting with us today, uh, we've been going through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, taking them, putting them in chronological order, and just jumping around. We're really going to jump around this morning, hopefully. But uh, last week was one of those Sundays where I just had a lot going on, and I came in here and said, I don't feel like teaching today. And you guys picked me up, and it was a beautiful Sunday. It was incredible. Uh, So thanks for that. If you weren't here, you can go back and look at it on YouTube or on the podcast and listen to it, but uh, just, it was awesome to hear your voices and what God's doing in your lives last week. But pick up where we left off. Two weeks ago, somebody said, you know, we've been on Thursday night in the, right before the crucifixion for like three or four months, and that's about the truth. We've been on Thursday night, and that's where we are. Jesus has just gone through the Kidron Valley, which is right outside the Temple Mount, and has ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He's asked His his main three to pray with them all night long, and they fell asleep, and we talked about the power of sin. And then it says that Judas and the chief priests and everybody showed up. And we talked about why the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the high priests needed Judas. They needed Judas for several reasons. One, they needed Judas because they needed to do this in a private place. And Judas knew exactly where Jesus was going to be hanging out. He hung out here all the time in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And he knew exactly where Jesus was going to be. Two, they needed somebody to bring a conviction against Jesus. Who was it that was actually going to be the bad guy and bring a conviction against Jesus to the court? They thought that would be Judas, but the truth is Judas went out and hung himself before he ever got there to do the conviction. All right? And then the third thing... they needed him to be an actual witness to the court. Again, wasn't going to happen. So now we're going to pick up in John chapter 18, verse 4, and we'll break this down a little bit more. It says, Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, Ooh, <laughs> Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him, He had already prophesied some things. He had prophesied that he was going to be arrested, and when he got arrested, that his disciples were going to scatter, they were going to take off. All these things that he pretty much knew from the Father. It says, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? You realize what happened. Judas shows up. The chief priest shows up. The Sanhedrin, part of the Sanhedrin shows up, and it says a Roman cohort shows up. You know what a Roman cohort is? We said this two weeks ago. A Roman cohort is made up of 400 soldiers. (laughs) You get this, right? You're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus' 11 disciples are there. It's quiet, and all of a sudden, over 400 people show up to arrest Jesus. I'm talking about in full armor. One dude, we're coming to arrest one dude, and we brought a whole Roman cohort, 400 soldiers. There is now a scene that's going on in the middle of the night. You'll also remember this, that two weeks ago, I laid out 22 violations of the Old Testament scripture and also the Mishnah, the Mishnah being the oral law that the Pharisees came up with. They said, this is what we're going to adhere to is this oral law. Those 22 things are now about to be violated. And we'll break, break it down as we get to them. Jesus knew that they were seeking him. It's kind of like when he was, like God was in the, the Garden of Eden. And he's looking for Adam and Eve. And he said, who, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that he already knew who told him that they were naked? It was the evil one that told him that. It's like God knows these things in advance, but he's going to go ahead and ask these things because he's wanting them to think about it and process it. He says, who is it that you're seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I'm he. Jesus told him, I'm Jehovah, I'm the one that you're looking for, it's me, let's get this clear, it's pretty obvious that you guys know who you're looking for, you've been chasing me around for the last three years, I've avoided any of your previous times that you've tried to arrest me, tried to capture me, really, you're going to ask? If I'm the one, it says Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. And when Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. When Jesus said, I'm Jehovah, it was like they all fell down to the ground. Really? This wasn't a dramatic point. They weren't trying to make a big deal out of this. This was a natural reaction to this man saying, I'm Jehovah. Boom. They all, including Judas, fell to the ground. Because you, re- you know that it was, it was against the law for them to even speak the name God. It was against the law, and like when they actually said the word Jehovah, it was whispered. But when he said, I'm he, they literally fell to the ground. Verse 7, it says, then he asked them again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you, I'm he. He gave them a chance to recollect themselves, to stand up, to gathered themselves up, and he went through the process again. Jesus replied, so if you're looking for me, let these men go. What men is he talking about? He's talking about his 11 disciples. You see, Jesus dearly loved these men. He had hung out with them for three years. He had invested in them. In fact, he knew they were the ones that were going to fulfill the prophecy that he had already been speaking about for the last three years. I've got to protect these men if prophecy is going to be fulfilled. He's like, you know who I am. I'm the one you're looking for. Let these 11 go. And then verse 9, it says, this was to fulfill the words he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Back in John 17, verse 12, so then none of them would perish, is what he said. He's like, I can't let any of these men die right here. Otherwise, prophecy won't come true. I've got to let these guys be safe. I've got to make sure that this cohort of 400 Roman soldiers lets them go. Then we turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 47. It's interesting because the four Gospels take this same story and they each have little nuggets of truth that we're going to sew together today. Verse 47 of Luke 22, it says, "...while he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss?" You see, this was all set up in advance. Judas had already been given a bribe, given a bribe by the Sanhedrin, 30 pieces of silver. If you'll just go up, say this is Jesus, let's do it with a kiss. You'll identify him and this will be the conviction against Jesus. It's all been predetermined. Jump to Mark chapter 14, verse 44. It says, his betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came immediately, he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. (laughs) This is awesome. Think about it. I just sat here and said they knew who Jesus was. They've been pursuing him for three years. Literally over 400 people showed up in the garden to arrest Jesus. They asked him twice, are you the son of God? Are you Jesus of Nazareth? Yep, I'm he, I'm him. He identified himself twice. So really, did Judas need to go up and kiss Jesus to identify him as he's the one? I mean, and you know what's even worse? He said, Rabbi, Rabbi, if you say Rabbi, if you call a man, Rabbi, you're saying, will you teach me? Will you disciple me? So now Judas comes up to Jesus with all intense purpose of betraying Him and says, Rabbi, will you disciple me? That doesn't even make sense. Judas was absolutely proving himself foolish. And I believe it's because of his foolishness that drove him to go hang himself. He literally made a fool of himself right there in the garden of Gethsemane. (laughs) You know, uh, there's no question that Judas was doing this intentionally, that he was blatantly sinning. And you know what happens to Judas. Obviously, he hung himself. And I'll, I'll say this to you, if you blatantly sin it will destroy you somehow it will destroy you it might not be immediate but it will greatly impact you and greatly affect the way that you live your life and most likely uh, you will look foolish so The 22 rules and laws that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had, there was the first one that says, number one, there were to be no steps of criminal proceedings after sunset. That came out of the Mishnah, page 387. You look at John 18.3 and it says, So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Why did they come with lanterns? and torches because it was after sunset rule number one has been broken rule number two there was to be no arrest by religious authorities that was affected by a bribe that came out of exodus chapter 23 verse 8 when it says you must not take a bribe for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and corrupts the words of the righteous well look what happened in mark fourteen forty-three. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords, clubs, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. They had given a bribe to Judas. And Luke twenty-two fifty-two says this. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the temple police, and the elders who had come for him, "Have you come out with swords and clubs as if it, if I were a criminal?" The third rule broken Judges or Sanhedrin members were not allowed to participate in the arrest. I just sat there and read to you two verses that said the chief priest was present. The chief priest is part of the Sanhedrin. Matthew twenty six forty seven says While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived, a large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priest and the elders of the people. The third rule had been broken. You know what's interesting too is that uh, these swords that they had brought they were actually military swords. That's a big deal that you're going to have to remember as we go throughout the scripture here. Now, I'll jump to Luke twenty-two forty-nine. It says when those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, "Lord, should we strike with the sword?" Uh, they says they asked this would have, they is the 11 disciples don't forget what we're working with here we're working with young teenage boys 16 maybe all the way up to 30 years old these disciples they're fishermen tax collectors they're working their father's trade. They're not soldiers. They look at Jesus and go, Should we take them? There's a Roman cohort here. There's over 400 soldiers with weapons, military swords, and the 11 say, You want us to go after them? Are these guys nuts or are they just really courageous? But they were ready to fight. They were absolutely ready to go to battle. 11 untrained courageous men against 400 trained soldiers. John 18.10 says this, Then Simon Peter, Oh, you got to love Peter. He's the, he's the impulsive one. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, (laughs) Peter grabs the sword, swings it wildly, and cuts off the high priest's ear. The high priest's slave's ear. Now, the high priest is Jewish. The slave of the high priest is probably Jewish as well. you got Roman soldiers there. Peter, why would you attack a high priest slave rather than one of the Roman soldiers because he was impulsive. He was like, I'm going to go to battle and it doesn't matter who I take out. It just doesn't matter. The interesting thing is that they describe the name Malchus. John actually describes the name Malchus. And the reason that he's able to describe who this high priest is is because John's family was actually friends with Caiaphas. You'll see this later on in the Scripture, that John is friends, his family is friends with Caiaphas. So why wouldn't he know the high priest's actual name? It's interesting that they mention it in Scripture. Then we go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 52. Then Jesus told him... he. what does he do? He looks at Peter and he's like, come on, dude, really? He says, then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. He's literally saying, Peter, you don't have to use the sword to defend your faith. That's not what the sword's for. You don't have to defend your faith with fleshly weapons. It says, Or do you not think that I cannot call on my Father and He will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? You know how many are in a legion? you got a cohort that's got 400, but a legion is 6,000. 6,000. So if you take six... He says, I could call seven legions. How many angels is that? Somebody real quick. 72,000. Do you not think that I could call 72,000 angels to stop this right here? You got 400 400 Roman soldiers. I just call 72,000 angels and I could stop this thing. I've already proved to them that I can get away. I've done that for the last three years. They've tried to capture me. And the father's allowed me to get away in the midst of the storm. But Jesus says, if that lost me, am I there now? All right. He's like, if that were the case, if that were the case, then if I were to get away, then prophecy would not be fulfilled. I'm going to let them. Capture me so prophecy may be fulfilled. His time is now. Verse 54, it says, How then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that they say it must happen this way? He knew that at 9 a.m. the next morning, the Passover lamb was about to be sacrificed. And he was to be that lamb. It's his time. He's waited all three years for this very moment. And now he sees it all falling into place. He's like, Peter, you fight spiritual battles with spiritual weaponry. You don't fight it with flesh weaponry. If you're going to really go to battle... Do it with the Spirit. You know, uh, we live in a world where social media is like the deal. And I sit there and I, I personally struggle myself. Is social media a spiritual weapon or a flesh weapon? I think it can be both. I think it can be both. And I literally, you hardly ever see me tweet or post anything on Facebook anymore because I've literally gotten to the point where I have to be discerning about what the Spirit is leading me to do. Is this my flesh or is this the Spirit leading me to do this? I, As you know, I post more inside the Leavener group than I do on my individual page because I don't want my flesh to speak out. Yet, I will take opportunity to teach. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter. Then we look at Luke 22, verse 51. It says, But Jesus responded, No more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Malchus' ear is cut off. Jesus reached down, picks it up, takes his ear, puts it back on his head, and heals him. Now, why would Jesus heal the ear of the servant of the high priest? He doesn't even believe that he's the Messiah. Why should Jesus heal him? You realize this is the first fresh wound that Jesus has ever healed in the Scripture. And it's really the first enemy that he's ever healed in the Scripture. No other place. So why would he do it? Pretty simple. If he didn't do it, they probably would have killed Peter on the spot. And if he said, Peter, you've been given the keys to the kingdom, Peter, you're going to be the first one to preach to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. Peter, you're going to be the first one to preach to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. If he wouldn't have picked that ear up, put it back on, they would have killed Peter right there in the process, and Peter wouldn't have been able to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus already had planned for him. Jesus, once again, protected his disciples. He protected his own. John eighteen eleven says this, at that, Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword away, son. <laughs> Put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? The cup. Here's that, that cup again. He came in an earth suit, and it is time to die in this earth suit. The cup. Matthew 26, verse 55 says, At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day, I used to sit teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. He's like, you know, for the last three years, I've been sitting in your presence. I've been sitting in the temple, and you never were able to arrest me. Every time that you wanted to, I got away. Tonight, you come out here with your weapons What makes you think that you can arrest me tonight? Really? You think it's going to be any different tonight? He says in verse 56, But all this has happened so that the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. Jesus was giving himself up to the scripture so that prophecy could be fulfilled. Jesus had to see everything he and the Father had planned was unfolding in order. You're getting ready to die. You know the plan. They're coming to arrest you. You're getting ready to get beaten. You're getting ready to hang on the cross. But at the same time, You're seeing everything that you and the Father had agreed upon from eternity past occurring at this very moment, at the right time. In the midst of his stress, there had to be an affirmation that it's like, this is playing out just like me and the Father had planned it. This is going down just like we said it was all along. It's going to happen. Nine o'clock. I don't know how it's going to happen. There's supposed to be trials and everything else, but by nine o'clock, he's got to be on that cross. It's going to happen. Then we wind it down here. This is, Says then his disciples deserted him and ran away. This is exactly what Jesus prophesied in John chapter sixteen. Peter's like, I, "I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'll always be here." All eleven disciples left. They scattered, just like prophecy said. Jesus actually saw this prophecy fulfilled as well. Do you think he was upset? No. He you knew the Father was still with him, still trusting him. And then let me take you to uh, one of the most humorous stories in the Scripture. It's found in, in Mark. Mark closes out this segment right here with a special story. You know who wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? You know who it was who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Say Mark. John Mark. And if you uh, think about John Mark, John Mark was, uh, you probably know him better in the book of Acts. He's the guy that was traveling with Paul and belled on Paul. And Paul's like, man, this guy, I don't want him going with me anymore because he belled on me when the pressure got hot. Barnabas is like, no, no, he's a good guy. I'm taking him with me. This is the same John Mark. He was not one of the disciples, because the 11 disciples had already left. But he writes this at the end of his section of Scripture in Mark chapter 14, verse 51. Now a certain young man, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, was following him. Like, there was so much excitement going on that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. This dude was in bed, and all of a sudden he heard about the excitement, he just grabbed a sheet and wrapped it around him. He was assuming he was sleeping naked. Because watch what it says. It says, He was wearing nothing but a linen cloth and was following him. They caught hold of him but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Now, who in the world was that? We don't know. We have no idea who that was. But why in the world would John Mark write that? The other 11 disciples are gone. They couldn't talk about it. So we think that it probably was John Mark. Without saying, you know, they did that a lot. They would talk about themselves in their own books. John would always, we believe that he was the beloved one, and he would always refer to the disciple that Jesus loved the most, but he would never say his name. He was the one that got to the grave before Peter said, I'm faster, but he would never say his name. Now Mark, he's literally wrapped in a linen cloth, gets there, they grab his cloth, and he takes off naked. That's a great story. (laughs) <laughs> Why in the world is it in there? Because it was probably memorable to him. Right? Why else is it there? The very first streaker. Well, I don't know about that, but... We may have to go to Adam on that one. And then we get to this. I'll break this down for you real quick before we get into next week. John eighteen twelve. It says, then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus, and they tied him up. They tied him up. Jesus is now being arrested. And there's going to be some confusion here in your Scripture as you read it. Because as you know, in the Sanhedrin, there's only one high priest. But, we're getting ready to read... There's two high priests. There's Annas, who they take him to immediately. But then there's also Caiaphas. That sounds like a contradiction. Nope. We can easily explain that. But it'll be next Sunday. He'll have to come back. You see, here's the beauty of of this whole thing right here is all this was foretold. And it's playing out exactly, exactly like God, Jesus, and the Spirit intended it to. I'll say this to you, and this is kind of a bold statement. The ones that came to arrest Jesus, they had all the proof that they needed that Jesus was the Messiah. He had done those three miracles, those three messianic miracles that the Pharisees had determined, like if anybody can do this, if anybody can heal a blind person that's born from birth blind, if they can heal that, nobody's ever done that. Jesus did that. If Jesus can heal a Jewish leper, no one's ever done that. If the Messiah can do that, then they're the Messiah. Jesus did that. If anybody can heal a mute that is demon-possessed, then they surely have to be the Messiah. Jesus did that. They had all the proof in the world that Jesus was the Messiah, yet they chose not to believe that he was the Messiah. They chose not to believe. Let's go back. All the way to the Old Testament. It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Wait, 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 wait. It's Pharaoh that chose not to believe in God. They made their choice. And today, look, I believe this with all my heart. I believe this Bible with all my heart. And what I believe right here, if this is true, if this is true, there's enough evidence right here in this book right here to prove that Jesus Christ is for real, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that he came, that he's come to live here inside of us. I believe it with all my heart. There's enough evidence right here in this book to prove it. I mean, we've been talking about this for 74 weeks right now. There's enough evidence and stories, prophecy that was told years ago, hundreds of years ago, and it's even being fulfilled today. There's enough proof, evidence for our world to see this, yet they've chosen not to. I believe that today. The spiritual battles that we're fighting today against human flesh is because they've chosen not to pursue this. That's it. That's it. If you pursue this, you can take this, you can take this, and you can sew it with the history books and prove that it's real. promise you. It's not some make-believe story. Someone asked me right before I walked up here, was Adam and Eve real people or were they immortal? I'm like, dude, they're real people. It wasn't a make believe story. They're for real. They had human flesh. They sinned. There's enough evidence right here to prove that this is true. Look it up. Pursue it. Then you have to make the choice. Father, I pray for those in the room. I trust that. Uh, I trust your word is true. Not, I'm just wasting my time here every week. But I believe it with all my heart, and I think.